0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post.
1: Hello, hey, you. Here's the from The Washington Post. Hi,
0: this is Beth Reinhardt at The Washington Post. It's Lori Arutani over at The Post. I'm. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, April 27th. Today, what the first census results mean for the future of Congress and the real origins of the word canceled.
2: So what was released on Monday was the long-awaited state population totals that come out from the decennial census, which is a survey that they take every 10 years, counting every household and every person in every household in the United States. Tara Barampur covers demographics for The Post. And those numbers are used for two purposes, to reapportion house seats. There are 435 seats in the House of Representatives, and they get reshuffled every 10 years based on how many people live in each state, and also to dole out electoral college votes.
0: And before we dive into which state gained and lost seats because of this new census data, I'm curious if there were just some large takeaways of what this data is saying about what our country is looking like right now and how our population is changing.
2: Well, the biggest takeaway from Monday's numbers is showing that the United States is growing more slowly in the past 10 years than it ever has except for the decade of the 1930s Great Depression. And the difference between the depression is that that was just a blip. And after the depression, there was a big boom. But in the past few decades, the growth has been slowing. And so the fact that we are slower now than we have been at any point since the 30s is part of a downward trend that's expected to continue.
0: So Tara, as you mentioned, this data is used to basically determine how many seats in the House each state is going to have and how many electoral votes each state is going to have. So what are we seeing now in terms of the shifts of states that are going to gain or lose political power because of this updated information about the population?
2: So this time around, Republicans gained a little bit more of a political advantage and Democrats lost some ground. Three of the big gainers were Texas, Florida, and uh, North Carolina. Texas was gaining two seats and Florida and North Carolina are each gaining one. And every time seats go to a state, it means that they are taken away from another state, It's all relative. So even if your state grew, if other states grew at a faster rate, then it's possible that they might take one of your seats. And so it happens that more seats were moved to Republican states because of their faster growth rates. And some of the states that were right on the edge lost a seat. What were those states that lost a seat? The the most dramatic one that everyone was just gasping about on Monday was New York which lost a seat by only 89 people.
0: By literally 89 people?
2: Literally 89 people. If 89 more people had filled out the census or not moved out, then New York would have hung on to its seat.
0: Oh my gosh. And then what are the other states that have also lost seats?
2: Illinois lost a seat. Michigan lost a seat. Pennsylvania also lost a seat. These are all... Northern states with Democratic governors that Biden won in 2020. California was a big loser, which it's the first time in California's history that they've ever lost a seat. They've always grown. They still did grow this time, but again, it's all relative. So they didn't grow as quickly as some other states. But it wasn't all Democrats. Ohio, which is a Republican-leaning state, also will lose a seat in Congress, and West Virginia—
0: So then what does that mean for these states that have gained or lost a seat?
2: So, well, all of the states go through redistricting. And depending on who's doing the redistricting, there's a little bit of leeway. There are also laws governing redistricting. So you can't totally, you know, draw weird octopuses all over the state. But, you know, within that, they're drawing new congressional district lines. In each state, there are different kinds of commissions, you know, or people who are responsible for drawing those lines, you know, sometimes it's a lawmaker, sometimes it's a group, and there can be sort of a partisan flavor to some of the the individual dist- redistricting. They face certain choices between, you know, creating seats that are more competitive or less competitive that could protect an incumbent or allow a greater shift in political control later. So it's a big chess game that's happening in every state, regardless of whether or not they've lost or gained a seat. But obviously, if you have gained a seat, then you have another district to play with. Have we heard about
0: what the shift in numbers will be for the Electoral College and for the next presidential race?
2: So Biden defeated Trump by a margin of 306 to 232 electors in 2020. And if that result were repeated under the new apportionment with Democrat and Republican candidates winning the same states, Biden still would have won comfortably, but it would have been 303 to 235. Hmm. So it's not a massive difference, but it is a difference. And if it had been a close election, it could have turned it.
0: So then... If what we're seeing in terms of states that have gained or lost seats is that many of the states that have lost a seat, like New York and California, are states that tend to be more Democratic, states that have gained a seat like uh, Florida or Texas, that they tend to be more Republican. Like, is the takeaway from this that Republicans are going to gain power both in Congress and also in the presidential race because of this new data?
2: Potentially, but it's not as clear cut as that. What we're seeing is that a lot of people are possibly moving around in the United States and the areas, the regions that are gaining the most population are the West and the South. But that could be that democratic types are moving to these places. It could be that, you know, someone is leaving New York and moving to Austin, you know, so I don't think that those states can necessarily count on all of that growth translating into red votes. So yes, if it's a state that is heavily Republican leaning, then probably those electoral votes are safe, but it's not necessarily the case. And if it's close, it it could push a state into the purple zone. I also want
0: to talk about what these census results say about D.C., because, of course, we are seeing this big push for D.C. statehood. So what did we learn about the population in the capital?
2: So D.C. really exploded in the last decade, and its growth rate was 14.6%, which is nearly triple the growth rate of the previous decade. It didn't go up quite as much as they thought, but it's gone in the past decade from about 602,000 to 689,000 and change. And that puts them ahead of not just Wyoming, which they were already bigger than in population, but now also Vermont. And so Mayor Bowser on Monday was tweeting about that, you know, pointing out that uh, it's past time, she said, to make Washington, D.C. the 51st state. Of course, the census
0: is notable every time that it comes around every decade. But it felt like last year the census was even more of a, uh, in some ways, like a political crisis because it was happening in the middle of a pandemic and because there was a lot of uncertainty about whether the census could be done comprehensively while also being done safely. Is there a sense yet of whether or not the pandemic might have affected the results of the census?
2: That is the big question that everyone is asking now, because the numbers that came out on Monday did not correlate as closely with the estimates as people had hoped. And there were some big surprises there. Texas was projected to have gained two or three seats. It gained two. Florida was expected to get two. It only got one. Rhode Island was supposed to lose one, didn't, so there were just a lot of surprises that people are now trying to unpack and figure out what happened. And it's likely that we won't know for a while because the more detailed data on who filled out the forms and where and, you know, kind of race, gender, ethnicity, geography, that's not coming out until later in the summer. So right now we've got these very broad numbers that have surprised some people and are raising more questions than they might have if they had hewed more closely to the estimates.
0: Tara Barampur covers demographics for The Post. This story was produced by Emma Telkoff.
1: Hey, this is Christina Quinn. Join me as we proudly represent the pro Trump America first wing of the conservative movement.
3: America on Cancel was the theme of CPAC this year, which is the annual gathering of the Conservative Political Action Committee.
0: Clyde McGrady is a features writer for The
3: Post. And it is, you know, the most hardcore conservatives, you know, future presidential aspirants go there, like Ted Cruz was there, Josh Hawley was there.
1: We represent the next generation of this country, we represent what's coming next.
3: And there is no way that we're going to back down. We're not going to back down to the woke mob. We're not going to back down to the canceled culture. And so America Uncanceled was the theme, which I guess really gets at what's agitating the conservative base right now.
2: First Amendment, most important amendment, if they take that one away, you can be certain they are going to come for your Second Amendment rights.
3: This fear of cancellation and shifting norms around publicly acceptable speech. But together, we can
0: win these fights. We have to be vocal. We can't be put in the corner.
3: Republican Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio, who is, you know, one of the most outspoken members of the House Freedom Caucus, he gave this memorable speech where he starts off, you know, ranting about Mr. Potato Head and The Bachelor and Kermit the Frog. They canceled the host of The Bachelor. They canceled the Star of Mandalorian.
1: They're coming after Fox News, Newsmax, One American News. You see last week they tried to cancel Kermit the Frog and Mr. Potato Head. You see that?
3: He was saying like, your culture, our culture is changing. The left is out to destroy our way of life. And we are going to fight back. We're going to stand up to the left.
0: Why was this event and the way that these Republican politicians are talking about the idea of being canceled, why was that interesting to you?
3: Well, I found it incredibly ironic because the language that they were using, it was lifted straight from Black culture.
0: Where did this word or this term actually come from? Like, what is the patient zero of Canceled.
3: So I identified it as Nile Rogers, who is a songwriting legend. It started when he had this bad date one night in the eighties at this New York club a young woman that he was with was kind of being rude to some of his friends and bossing around some of the wait staff. I think the straw that broke the camel's back was when she wanted him to get the maitre d' to get some people who were already sitting down to leave so they could have the table. And he was like, "No, I don't do that." And so I think you know, she thought I'm with this famous guy so I could boss people around, but he didn't like it. And later on, he was, you know, sitting around. He's obsessed with television. <laughs> and so he was coming up with some lyrics, and he ended up writing this song called Your Love Is Canceled.
0: Can you sing the song?
3: Oh, God. It's been stuck in my head, too, for, like, the last month. Watching the late show. I made up my mind. Oh, those are the opening lyrics, and then the choruses. One of the people who was listening to that song was a young journalist and upcoming screenwriter named Barry Michael Cooper, who was working on this screenplay to this movie called New Jack City, which would go on to be a, a classic, like, black gangster film. In one of the iconic scenes, the main character, Nino Brown, gets into a disagreement with his girlfriend after he used a child as a human shield. Uh, spoiler alert. Yeah. Throws her to the table, douses her in champagne, and he says, cancel it. Cancel that beat, I'll buy another one. That line took off and it kind of permeated through black culture for a while. Like rappers use it 50 cent used it in a song.
1: The women in my life bring confusion.
3: So like will at me. This is the life I chose. To me so cold. Man, my heart froze. To... Wayne's used it in a song. am yeah, like This those... DC rapper Shy Glizzy named a song after it.
2: Feeling just like Nino, I got whipping whip bricks. Whip. Whip. We just went it, had to cancel that.
3: And it was also used in this uh, show, VH1, Love and Hip Hop, where a producer like told his girlfriend. You canceled. Canceled? And then later on, he said, you know, I was watching New Jack City the other night. Just watching New Jack City the night before I met with her that day. So I
1: think that's where the whole cancel (laughs) came from. Canceled.
3: And so it kind of took off online. This is around 2000. 14, I think. So Twitter is very active. People are becoming aware of the phenomenon that is Black Twitter, where a lot of jokes are created, a lot of memes are created.
1: Black Twitter is a group of individuals who come together to have conversations about everything from culture to race to identity.
3: People started using it more and more on social media, say, oh, this celebrity is canceled. The example that Barry Michael Cooper brings up is Justin Timberlake. He's had a couple of transgressions against some pretty big icons in black culture, namely Janet Jackson from the 2005 Super Bowl, where there was a wardrobe malfunction. A lot of people felt like he threw Janet Jackson under the bus. And he ends up playing the Super Bowl again about a decade later. And, you know, people haven't forgotten that. And then also he dissed Prince, which is just an incredible Move on his part. And so a lot of black people just said, I've had it with Justin Timberlake. And he was canceled. Now, did that mean, did they call his record company and say, please drop Justin Timberlake from your roster? Or did they demand that, you know, radio stations not play his music? No, it was just, we don't deal with you anymore, Justin. All right. You stepped out of line and now you're canceled. What you start to see with the word cancel is it kind of merges with this broader call-out culture. People, because of, I think, social media in the mid-2010s, people really start to have the platform to call out things that they deem are offensive. And so you have just a number of other call-outs that happen to varying degrees of seriousness You can't ignore, like the mute R Kelly movement, which kind of took off because I think there was a documentary series about R. Kelly and the decades-long allegations of sexual misconduct against him.
1: My niece has the same hairstyle she had when she turned fourteen. That was her for sure. And that was him, definitely. Various sexual acts, including urination, oral sex. I helped to do that to her.
3: And people had talked about this for years, but I think people had just finally had enough. And it was a real concerted effort to put pressure on people who would collaborate with R. Kelly to not do that anymore, to not play his music anywhere. And so that dovetails right into Me Too, which was another movement to hold abusers accountable. and then. That's when you start to see the word cancel culture like start to bubble up. Hmm.
0: Because it seems like in this narrative or this evolution of how cancel is being used for decades, it was really more of a, I dislike this. I don't want to engage with this anymore. More of like an insult or at least like a representation of like, I'm just done with this person or whatever. But that cancel as accountability, like serious accountability, were people's careers are quote unquote canceled. That that seems like what this term kind of evolved into is more a sense of holding people accountable in serious, tangible ways for, in some cases, serious wrongdoings.
3: Yes, that's exactly how it has morphed. And I think what some politicians realize is that there is this fear among a sizable portion of the population that they could be canceled, and they really tapped into that fear to, to kind of weaponize that term and use it for their own political advantage, like you saw with, you know, Jim Jordan in Orlando and President Trump during his Independence Day speech.
2: The goal of cancel culture is to make decent Americans live in fear of being fired, expelled, shamed humiliated and driven from society as we know it
0: what's also so interesting about this story is that you talk about nile rogers as the root of this word and how it came into like common conversation but also nile rogers's bands i mean you could basically say that they were canceled right can you tell the story
3: of that Oh, yes. Actual cancellations are definitely not a new phenomenon, and that's exactly what happened to Chic. So Rodgers' band was like a disco kind of funk outfit in the 70s, and, you know, they had all these hits. You know, number one chart toppers. And disco is very popular within black communities and Latina communities and gay communities. And there started to be this backlash to that. And one night in 1979, as a promotion, a DJ in Chicago had this promotion for the White Sox that if you like brought in a disco record, like you got in free. And at the end of the night, they demolished those records. Disco sucks.
1: Disco! Sucks. Disco
3: sucks. The night got out of hand. There was like riding on the field. But another interesting thing happened. Some people weren't even just bringing in disco records. They were just bringing in like records by black artists. Like some of them were just you know regular R and B records or soul records. But Nile Rodgers he was like really stung by that personally. He said you know we were really burned by the whole disco sucks movement, and it left a bad taste. In his mouth, he didn't appreciate that at all. So, you know, the person who came up with the song was actually canceled himself.
0: And why does that part of the story feel important?
3: Because it shows that people are not anxious about cancellations or cancel culture just in and of itself. I don't think that bothers people. I think it bothers people when it's things that they like are seen as problematic or things that they do. So, I mean, conservatives are not above canceling people themselves. It's just that the the values that they hold dear, they don't want to change those values. CPAC is famous for having these panels every year. And I searched and I couldn't find any on Colin Kaepernick, which is interesting because he was... Probably one of the most famous cancellations that we've had in the last five years. He took a seat and eventually took a knee while the national anthem was playing to protest police brutality and racial injustice. I'm going to continue to stand with the people that are being oppressed. Uh, To me, this is something that has to change. And then a year later, he found himself out of the National Football League. But I didn't hear Jim Jordan I didn't hear a speech where he said, you know, Colin Kaepernick should get his job back because all he did was express his First Amendment rights and he was canceled from the NFL.
0: Why do you think that this term that has historically been a black term, a black Twitter term, like why do you think it has become so useful and expedient and powerful for Republicans and conservatives to use?
3: I think it's become potent because they're just a sizable number of people that fear change. They don't like the rules shifting. And also, social media has just made it so that so many people can, like speak up and have a voice. You know, were some of these things, quote unquote, problematic for a long time? Maybe so, but people didn't have the voice to speak up. And now, everybody kind of has a megaphone to say what they don't like. And before maybe people didn't hear about it, but now they're hearing about it. And I think that is making them anxious to have to adjust to shifting rules around language or what's considered offensive or publicly acceptable.
0: I also think that in some ways, to me, it feels like a little bit of a shorthand for power that there used to be certain people who had the power to define who was popular, who was listened to, who was important, whose culture and taste were considered the like prevalent or predominant culture and taste. And now that power is shifting. And to me, it feels like when I hear Republican politicians talking about this idea of cancellation, it's almost, a, I would say, a dog whistle for trying to reclaim some of that power of we won't let other people tell us what we think is important or good or what we should be listening to and talking about. Like, we aren't giving that up.
3: Yeah. I mean, it went from a black culture punchline to a white grievance watchword. I think you really touched on something important, and that is, this is about shifting power. If your culture has dominated or your voice has always been heard, any kind of concession or compromise is going to feel like a loss. That has caused a lot of anxiety for a lot of people, I think.
0: Clyde McGrady writes for the style section of The Post. This story was produced by Arjun Singh and edited by Robin Amer. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Rennie Svernofsky. On Wednesday night, President Biden will be giving his first address to a joint session of Congress. We will be unpacking more of Biden's first 100 days in office on our podcast this week. But if you want to watch the speech live, the Post will be airing it at WashingtonPost.com, with updates and analysis from our reporters. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.